You know, if you're not going to f***ing try, then I'm not giving you my dollar. F*** you. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Back this week because he's done throwing up is the Cecil. Well, no, I, I wasn't throwing up. I was just completely in, in, uh, intoxicated on co- on uh, cold medicine and flu medicine and was in that weird everything hurts mode, which I don't recommend. Where, where is it? The, is it that mode where you technically fall asleep, but you're 100% aware of your surroundings at every moment? Whether you're awake or asleep, everything hurts. So, because uh, I made the bad decision to not get a flu shot this year, and then a friend of mine from Texas was visiting, and she decided to give me some good old Texas flu. And I, I said, after I got better, I sent her an email and I yelled at her, God damn it, why did you give me the flu? It was a gift. It was a gift. It wasn't a good gift. I'd like to exchange that gift. Peter won't be here because there's a conspiracy, apparently, to keep all three of us off the show together. Because last night, his computer decided, you know what, I'm just going to kick you on the balls and die. Or I should say, the Windows 10 update that murdered his computer. Thanks, Microsoft! Yeah, that's uh, Windows 7 for life. Windows 7 was so good, I don't know what... Oh, yeah, I'm not, not going to get into that. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Speaking of computers, if you guys want to get a VPN, you kind of need a VPN nowadays. So you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. That'll bring you to Nord's site. And then you can get Nord VPN for 75% off of a three-year plan. It's only $3.49 a month. And with a VPN, virtual private network, you can watch videos maybe where you're not supposed to be able to. Hey, if you're foreign and you want to watch Disney+, Plus. That that evil service is not available in your area. Hey, all of a sudden you're you're on a server in America. I actually know quite a few European friends who watch The Mandalorian on Disney Plus when it's not available to them. So you go to 1201beyond.com backslash drome VPN. They'll help encode your data, they'll protect your data, and it helps us considerably. And also, if you guys, you know, you're in the mood for something a little bit frisky, little, you know, ass destruction or something here for Christmas, go to adamandeve.com use the promo code DROME D-R-O-M-E and you will get 50% off of a single item three free DVDs a free sex swing and free US shipping just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com so tonight we were supposed to be talking about our Christmas episode. We were, gonna, we we're looking at a religious franchise because, you know, I thought Christmas, religion. But since Peter's not here this week, we're going to shelve that. And we're going to do our Christmas episode late because it's my show and I can do it whenever I want to. So this week it's going to be sort of a miscellaneous episode. I've got a couple of gripes. I've got some things I legitimately want to talk about with Cecil about filmmaking right now. Like, like right now I started thinking, we all look at, we all have these people, at least us older fans, who this is 
a, a masterful filmmaker. This is a legendary filmmaker, a legendary director, a legendary actor, a legendary writer, something like that. And I started thinking, who would their modern-day equivalents be? Who would be the modern-day Orson Welles? I'm not sure we have one. Because Orson Welles, I mean, we talked about it in a previous episode, was one of those guys that was so ridiculously far ahead of where film was at at the time he was making his various movies. He always was being held back because he was too forward-thinking. Who would be the modern-day Orson Welles right now? I agree. I don't think we really have one. I don't think there's uh, anybody that's making stuff that's that far ahead. Or at least I will go so far as to say there is no modern-day Orson Welles that is in the U.S. There might be some foreign director out there who is consistently making stuff that is way out there, like years ahead of where everybody else is. But right now, because of and the way that Hollywood is set up, uh, we're getting these really, really huge multi-bazillion dollar safe movies. They're gigantic blockbuster films that cost hundreds of millions of dollars that don't really push any boundaries. And not everything has to be edgy, but they're very basic. There's no real uh, risks that they're taking. And as such, we're getting a lot of very expensive, mediocre entertainment. I mean, we've complained about this this one trend for a really long time. They're spending more and more and more and more money on one or two films, like Six Underground. Okay, I'm I've been a long time non Transformer Michael Bay defender. I think he is a great director, especially if he's given good content. And Six Underground, it looks great. It has no st- the story is completely inconsequential to the actual movie. The characters, I would be generous calling them cardboard cutout characters. And you just wonder, why would a, why would someone like Michael Bay be attracted to that? Because there's nothing to get in his way. Michael Bay is one of those directors who is the victim, and this is me kind of defending him, is the victim of his own worst impulses. Because have you ever noticed Michael Bay never decides this is a quiet moment, maybe we shouldn't do that spin around, stand up, quiet shot? No. He's always the victim, like an ADD style director. And that really works when he's making an action film. When he's making something like The Island, not so much. Six Underground, it's almost going to become the prototypical example of this movie is all flash and nothing else. And yet, Michael Bay said it's the largest budget he's ever worked with, which I'm not 100% believing because I cannot imagine that this movie cost more than some of those Transformers movies that were like half a billion dollars. Take into my mind that Netflix gave him half a billion dollars to make a completely brainless action film with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, I think that they gave him however many, you know, how like $150 million or whatever and just said, here, go nuts. But yeah, I don't think that that cost as much as the Transformers. I mean, God, Transformers 2, I think, was $250 million or something ridiculous because they had so, you know, they shot it and then reshot it. And I can't imagine this costing more than that so maybe maybe they paid him maybe they paid him more you know what i mean like he didn't get a bigger budget he just got a bigger cut 
of the budget. Well, but then there's also something... Now, this isn't specific to Six Underground, but it's a great example of it. Okay, we've got streaming. Everyone's got large TVs now, but, you know, a lot of people still watch stuff on their phones. Like, Martin Scorsese recently went on that rant about how he does not want you to watch The Irishman on your phone. That, you know, movies, especially spectacle movies, are not made to be watched on a goddamn phone. They're made to be watched on a big screen. Something like Six Underground... When you're watching it on your television, it's just, meh. I can only imagine if this were theatrical. I mean, I saw The Island in the theater. I saw Bad Boys 2 in the theater. I saw Pain and Gain in the theater. These were big spectacle movies that felt theatrical. And when you look at Six Underground, it feels like this should be on a big screen surrounding you, not on your TV in your living room. It it sort of mutes the scale, if that makes sense. And I I think Netflix should have released this one theatrically because it's kind of like watching Apocalypse Now on video or in the theater. It might technically be the same movie, but you are absolutely not getting the same experience. If you've ever seen Apocalypse Now theatrically, that's a totally different experience than seeing it on video. Absolutely. Like, seeing... Now, seeing Die Hard, uh, you know, for the umpteenth millionth time, okay, fine, you know, watch it on your television or whatnot, but seeing it... I saw it in 89. You saw it... I did, too. My my sister took me. And and that was a big deal because that was the first movie to reintroduce... It was like a stereo sound or because we're going back a while. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember they're making a big deal about the surround sound and they had paid X amount of bazillions of dollars to upgrade a bunch of movie theaters to have this uh, surround sound in there for Die Hard. And I remember being in there and things are exploding around you. And it was just so like, oh, my God, I've never had an experience like this before. It was awesome. And I do believe that some movies really are made better by seeing it on the big screen with an audience the downside is that the The audience audience. like if you've got a good audience that is into the movie and isn't a bunch of idiots then you are going to have a great experience but if you're in a a movie theater where people are bringing their their children that are crying and they're on their phones and they're yelling at the movie theater screen like that really takes it out of it and that's one of the reasons why i pretty much just stay home and watch most things on my my uh tv because i've got a nice size television i've got a really good setup okay so i'm not getting the huge in-person experience but i'm also not dealing with all the additional nonsense that can detract from the experience to talk about the the thing where they were saying you know don't watch the irishman on your phone i absolutely agree with with that as well. I think that that's something where you should shut off your phone, put it, uh, you know, uh, you know, or at least put it away, like sit down, enjoy the film on a big screen, pay attention to it. I think the mindset of watching it on your phone is you have people that are going to watch it on this little tiny screen. They're not getting the full experience. You're not really fully invested because I don't know anybody that's going to sit down and enjoy a film on their phone. I mean, I could see, all right, fine, you're going to watch like something on your Kindle or your iPad or something. That at least you're getting like a 10, 12-inch screen. It's still not the perfect way to watch certain films, but some films, I think that's fine. You know, of a comedy or whatever, that's absolutely fine to watch it on there or something you've already seen a million times. But if you're going to sit down and watch a uh, a film like that, a three and a half hour character piece, you really need to experience it. And you're not going to get that experience by watching it on your phone. 
And speaking of the Irishman, this is a technically a different topic. We have got to get rid of, it should be illegal in Hollywood to use CG blood at this point, especially if you have a, a major budget. The Irishman really yanked me straight out of the movie when the gunshots were obvious CG and the blood was obvious CG. Even Martin Scorsese has fallen to the specter of goddamn CG blood. This needs to be eradicated. I say you are no longer an actual filmmaker if you use fucking CG blood. I, I, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing fake fucking blood in movies. The CG blood... I, I'm, I'm sick of it. Like, I, I recently picked up a, a DVD from the dollar store, something I'd, I'd never seen before. I was watching the trailer first, you know, to see if I even want to get the movie. And it had great locations, had a pretty good cast of, you know, falling stars like Michael Madsen and Eric Roberts and people like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, the lighting's not too bad. Oh, God, all the gunfights are CG. There's a car crash in the trailer. That's obvious CG and a CG explosion. And I'm just like, well, f you then you know if you're not gonna fucking try then i'm not giving you my dollar Fuck you i understand the the necessity of it but i don't like it i think that that's something you should plan out because blood squibs have been used in movies forever it is something that uh a lot of actors will do there's actually been times where i've talked to people who they were excited because they're like "Ooh, i get to have a blood squib on me this is cool and it's it's neat and it it looks real because it is real i mean they're not being shot for real but it is a genuine effect they figured out how to perfect it over the years and it it's there on it's set. there on set out on camera and it looks good but a lot of the producers and people they want to rush through stuff and they don't you know they they've already announced okay okay, well, this movie is going to be done by, you know, this movie is going to be released X date. So we'll just do all that in post. Like blood is one of those things. It never looks cool. They haven't really been able to figure out how to do that with CG. There are some things that I will concede. They've been able to figure out a lot of things with CG where they've been able to put in fake backgrounds. They've been able to put in stuff that wasn't there. They can conceal things. There are a lot of things that CG does and CG does very well. But for whatever reason, the, the blood thing they always go a little too far they do it and it's just like all right that's just too much blood or it just doesn't look right it, it just sticks out like a sore thumb and another reason i think they do it is because they know they're going to release a pg-13 and an r-rated version of the film so if they do it they'll do the pg-13 version and they just won't include the blood and then they'll release the r-rated version on video and they'll put the blood back in and you can't do that if you did it with squibs well, and also with CG blood, you can get way more setups in a day because you don't have to keep cleaning up and changing the actor's shirts for the next take. So they consider it efficient. When you've got someone like Martin Scorsese, who has resulted to using CG blood and CG gunshots, that is should be a tipping point for how CG has to go away. Now, I'm not saying all CG. I'm not, I'm not like, oh my god, computer generated effects, they have to be destroyed. No. I'm saying there are certain things. Blood, hair, like, like Aquaman. Okay, that movie was absolute garbage. The hair, when they're underwater, looks so fake. For some reason, CG can't approximate how human hair moves properly yet. There are things, 
that you, you know, if you're going to be ramming 13 cars into one another and having bodies fly out, yeah, you might want to do that with CG because it's not safe. You're going to have a dog flying out of a helicopter, yeah, you might want to do that in CG because it's not safe to do practically. Stuff like that, fine. But then you look at a movie like, there's this movie barely got released. It, it, it's set on a shelf, or maybe not set on a shelf, that's maybe not the right way to put it. It took almost seven years from when it was made to come out. It's called Saint Bernard. All practicals. It looks amazing. I can only imagine if this were made with a slightly larger budget, they would have done some of this in CG. It, it sickens me when I see that kind of thing. CG blood, CG gunshots, when you've now ensnared Martin Scorsese, this has become a problem. It's like a virus spreading through Hollywood. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it is. And I mean, I've talked to some CG artists and a lot of them, what they've done is some great work, but they say that a lot of the problem comes down to, uh, the producers and sometimes the directors who don't understand this stuff takes time. If you want something to look good, you have to kind of get in as soon as possible. And movies used to have a long pre-production period, then production, then, uh, you know, post wouldn't be as terrible because they had done so much work ahead of time to prep or, you know to prepare for it and now there's no pre-production time films go right in they have like a lengthy post-production time where they're trying to fix shit. would have already been fine had they have set things up in pre-production so that's why a lot of times you'll have these half-baked cg shots because the guys will be working on it and then somebody in production will be like you know one of the producers will be like oh i don't like that you should change that oh you need that done in two weeks and it's like it's not possible because you can animate the stuff but it still has to render you know you send it out to a render farm some of these things they'll take months to render out properly because they got these you know uh, bazillion computers in a render form trying to properly do this and if you try to cut that short all right well we need this in two weeks well you've got time to work on it and then you send it out and you get it back it's like all right well it's not done but it's it's close like they just messed up with the cats movie they were in such a hurry to get that into theaters that they released it with unfinished effects there was there's shots floating around of uh judy dench she they didn't put the cg fur over her hands so she's there looking like a cat that has furless human hands with her wedding ring on it there's people in the background that are wearing like uh hoodies and stuff that should have been taken out but they couldn't they didn't have time to to fix it so now uh that's why they announced it they said uh that the theaters are going to be receiving an updated version of the film with improved special effects my thing with that though is nobody wants to go see this movie anyway dude this is a 300 plus million dollar film that made 2.6 million dollars it's open weekend and everyone everyone who saw it hated it you should see it's actually kind of funny to see all the critical reviews of what a monstrosity this is but its director is like well we're gonna keep tweaking it dude nobody wants to see cat first of all cats is one of those movies that i don't know how got made i don't know who greenlit this i don't know who gave them this money or who thought you know what we need a big giant rum tum tugger movie 
Well, they've been trying to make this for a long time. It goes all the way back, I think, to like the 90s, and we got robbed. You can look up Spielberg with his Amblin Entertainment. They wanted to do a fully 2D animated film, hand-drawn, and there's a lot of uh, the the uh, preliminary stuff, like the drawings and whatnot that they, that they did, and it looks very old, like, uh, you know, searchers, de- rescuers down under. It has like that kind of uh, look to to it it's phenomenal and i think we got absolutely robbed from what could have been an amazing animated film so that got completely you know they said we're not going to do that another company wanted to make it but they were going to do it kind of like how the um the theatrical play is it was going to be all actors wearing costumes okay fine it would not i think it probably wouldn't be as cool as the animated version i think that would have been a step up and then somebody uh some genius with too much money was like no it has to be cg people that are cats and they really drilled this through and made it happen and it looks as bad as the rest of us knew it would look it looked terrible they they're frightening looking it doesn't look right so then what does that mean for the director is he delusional or does he really think somehow this is just it's gonna catch on because i mean for one thing you opened it against the new star wars movie so that was either ballsy or dumb as fuck i'm not sure which is he delusional? Uh, apparently the director is a kind of a horse's ass. Tom Hooper, from what I gather, he makes a lot of really, really weird choices on the film. Like evidently they weren't wearing mocap suits for, uh, for cats. So that's why there's a lot of like CG screw ups. Apparently in Les Miserables, they weren't using a click track, which is how like the, the dancers and everybody stay in time. Like there's a lot of like these stories of him vetoing really useful things in filmmaking. Well, I, I saw, I saw an interview with him where he wanted for cats it to feel more natural. It's like, but you're covering it all in CG. Isn't that by definition unfucking natural? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of bizarre. I like there are some movies that come along. For example, the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. I personally don't like them. They're not directed at me. However, I recognize why they were made. Something like Cats. The fact that they had three hundred million dollars that they threw at this movie that really nobody wanted. I don't, there was not an outcry for, oh, you know what we need? We need a live action, quote unquote, about as live action as the, uh, the Lion King movie. We need a live I'm action. I'm so sick of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's not live action. It's CG. And even it's photorealism. That's not live. I'm so sick of people saying the live action Lion King movie. <laughs> They haven't made a live-action Lion King movie. They made a photorealistic CG Lion King movie, and you're stupid for saying (laughs) live-action. I mean, honestly, it probably would have been better if they made cats like they did The Lion King, where it was not these human-cat hybrid things, but it was CG cats. And they did it that way. Like, that, I think, would have been a better choice instead of this 
this monstrosity. It just, oh god, it just looks so bad. They're also saying this is an unprecedented, uh, yes, I just said that on purpose. This is an unprecedented move to pull it from theaters and then we're gonna put it back out with improved effects. Okay, technically, that's never been done before with the effects thing, but does nobody remember 2001 A Space Odyssey? After one week, that was pulled from theaters and Kubrick cut 16 minutes of boredom out of that movie that have never been seen since. Or Exorcist 2. That was pulled after, I think it was four days. And Borman quickly re-edited the movie. I think he took out like 20 minutes and put like eight minutes back in that had not been in the movie before and re-released it. If you saw those movies in their first week, you got to see a, a really unique version of the movie. This is not unprecedented, okay? Maybe for special effects, but, you know, it, it's just kind of like with the Star Trek diversity thing. She's the first black black lead in Star Trek. No, she's not. The first female lead. No, she's not. You know, it's like all these clickbait headlines about cats that I'm seeing. This has never been done before. Oh, except for all the times it has. It's not so much that it's never been done before. It's that it's never been done this way before. Like, they basically, in previous times, with uh, the 2001 and whatnot, it's they went back and did a re-edit. Whereas this, they're releasing essentially a patch, because they released an unfinished film. So, with the other films, in the director's mind, it was finished, but... They needed to go in and fix certain things. They edited it and whatnot. Whereas this, oh shit, we, you know, the, the effects weren't finished. Fix it! Fix it and release it quickly! So I think that's really more along the lines of where this is. I think this is just more throwing money down a toilet because... Fixed effects is not going to make people all of a sudden go, oh, I want to go see this movie now. Honestly, I'd rather see the broken version. I Like with uh, with uh, Wolverine, the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, unfinished effects version with all like the, the green screen and the wires and uh, rubber masks and stuff. Like that was the, the better version than the version that was released. But I, I'm, I'm going to go back because since we're talking CG and stuff. If Orson Welles were still alive and making films, now that we've seen Martin Scorsese even fall to CG gunshots and 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 the CG shortcuts, do you think Orson Welles? Because remember, Welles invented camera shots and angles and ways of shooting something, deep focus, things like that. He invented what we now consider standard filmmaking techniques. Do you think someone like Welles would have even fallen into the CG gunshot trap had he still been alive? in this era i would hope not i know he liked to buck a lot of that stuff so i would like to think that he would just tell them to uh you know he, he'd grab a handle of wine and would tell them to go f themselves i'm gonna make this bottle of wine disappear <laughs> and he would but, he certainly would well okay let's go back to the who is the modern like i personally am not a stanley kubrick fan okay i I've, i like some of his films but i i don't get why everyone calls him such a genius I actually do see, and I might be committing heresy right now in, you know, film nerd circles, is Nicholas Winding Refn the modern Kubrick? Because if you look at their styles with long, uncut shots of nothing happening, with just beautiful lighting, and the way the music happens, the way he re he makes the acting tell the story, I actually think Nicholas Winding Refn might be the modern Kubrick. And I'm not even a Nicholas Winding Refn fan. I am, and I also agree. I think that their their styles are similar but different. Like, they both have their own way of doing things. They both have their own unique eye. Uh, I think that they are both uh, fantastic. I think that uh, Ref and stuff, the only movie of his that I, I didn't, it's not so much that I didn't like, I just didn't think that it was as strong 
as uh, his other films. The um, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Was the model one? The, I was about to say you're going to say Neon Demon because that's the one I would have picked for his weakest. Yeah, film Neon, Demon, Neon Demon. Neon Demon was absolutely his weakest film. But uh, Drive and uh, Only God Forgive, like Drive, I think is his best. Have you seen Too Old to Die Young yet? Because that it's like a Stanley Kubrick. TV series. Now, the, the it's way too self-indulgent. It needed way more editing. There's no reason this thing needed to be like 15 hours long. My God, do you get a Kubrick vibe when you're watching it? I I sadly have not seen it yet, but I've been meaning to. But I just I've been so bogged down with with everything else. I haven't really had time to uh, check it out. But I think that now things are hopefully calming down after the holidays. So I'll have a little bit of time. So I mean, I got to check out that i got a, a big pile of shit that i need to watch so well okay let's let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum from orson wells who is the modern ed wood and, and i don't mean that in like a tommy wiseau sort of way you know where it's like ha ha i'm making bad movies and i know this because remember ed wood thought he was making art and he wasn't. And for a long time, I'm sure you remember this in the late 90s and early 2000s, everyone was calling Uwe Boll the modern Ed Wood. I don't think I'm reaching when I say, I know you'll agree with me that that was horse, a horseshit comparison. Well, the thing was, the, the difference being is that Ed Wood thought he was making good movies and he wasn't. Whereas Uwe Boll, his bad movies, he knew he was making bad movies. We've talked to him. He admitted that he knew that he was making bad movies. So that's the, I mean, that's a distinct difference right there. But I think that a lot of people in general, they're not looking that deep into it. They're just like, he make bad movies. He also make bad movies. They're the same thing. And it's like, no, he, Uwe Boll, he was making, basically they're throwing money at him to make terrible movies. And he was doing that. But when he puts effort into his movies and does what he really wants to do, he actually is competent. He does a good job. And I, I've been, completely swayed on him. I thought for a while there that he was just a hack who intentionally made garbage, and uh, he did. He intentionally made garbage. But he also has the ability to make not garbage. And I think that that's something that somebody like Ed Wood was incapable of doing. He just, uh, he wanted to make something good, but couldn't recognize what, what it was that you could do that could actually make something good. I would go so far, uh, I think... Maybe not an Ed Wood, but an absolutely horrible director is John Moore. Uh, he's the guy who did, um, the, re the Omen remake, the Max Payne, uh, movie, A Good Day to Die Hard. Like, he's just, like, making bad movie after bad movie after bad movie, and they kept throwing more money at him, and the movies weren't getting any better. They were just really poorly constructed and terrible. For some reason, he continued to make movies. I don't understand that. Where you'll have a director who will come along, and they'll make one movie, and it won't do well. And all of a sudden, they never get to make another movie. And here's a guy who's made bad movie after bad movie after bad movie, and he continues to make them. And they all flop. And they're either, they're financial and critical failures, and yet he still continues to make movies. Failing upwards. Absolutely. He but must. He's got dirt on somebody. I actually am going to say the modern Ed Wood is David Dakota because David Dakota, he defends these pieces of garbage that he's just shitting into a red box. I think he actually has the delusion that Ed Wood had. And remember, Dakota used to be a good filmmaker. Since about, I don't know, 97 to now, the man is Ed Wood and he doesn't realize it. And I think that's sort of sad. 
It really is, because I, I like the guy. I like him, and I love his older work. Uh, Puppet Master 3 is just is, is phenomenal. Uh, Sorority Babes, Creepazoids. Sorority Babes, Creepazoids. Yeah. You know, it's it, he he cared. And then, I don't know what happened, but I guess the, um, those, the, the, all the, the, the movies that were shot in that same house and they're really, and I'm not saying this in a, in a negative way, but they're really, really, really high on the homosexual overtones. Like they're, they're very, they're very, very gay movies. And that's not why they're bad. They're bad because I guess he's pandering to him himself. Maybe. And, and just making these really terrible films with bad effects, obvious flaws, and like, I, like, and he's making like five of them a year. Like, he just keeps cranking these things out. I think you're, I think you're undercounting. I'm undercounting. He's, he's making, yeah, I think of he them makes, a year. I, cause he almost seems to shit one of these things into a red box once a month, it seems. And they're all bad and they all have the same variant cover. They also all have the same flat natural lighting. They all have, the same we're using the first take we, we we you constantly see like someone's hand at the edge of frame or a laser pointer it's all shot in the same house with bad audio really argue with me that david dakota is not the modern ed wood I think so i think it's so much though i guess the here would be the difference of why i would say he's not the modern ed wood is because ed wood was never good Whereas Dakota was good, but became bad. And, and I don't think anybody, even people that like enjoy his stuff, uh, ironically, I think even they would agree that, yeah, his stuff is just bad. I don't know why. I, I guess it, because Hollywood is just so different, but man, I would love, like what Full Moon just did where they did the 10 for 10 films. I would, Deadly 10. Deadly 10 or whatever. I would have rather them taking all that money that they were going to do for, for one, you know, for 10 films instead take that money and put it towards one film, give it to Dakota, but tell him to actually try. And I think that we might end up with with another really good Puppet Master movie or something. Although the last Puppet Master was really good, but it was very different. Um, yeah, but Full Moon also didn't make that that's Fangoria. What, that's what that. I'm saying. That's why I was pointing that out. It was it, it was a fang. That was more of a Fangoria film than it was a Full Moon film. But it, it was really you know credit where it's due. It was a damn good movie. I just I want like I want him to go back and look at his old stuff. Look at Creepazoids. Look at what you did, and you'll make something good. Makes like it doesn't have to be an Oscar award winning film. Just a very very good entertaining film that you actually put some effort into like these new films that he's working on it's so obvious they're shot over the course of like three days with very very little effort let's go to writing now i'm specifically talking writing here who would the modern hunter s thompson be because i actually already have an answer for this i think it's joe bob briggs i read his column every week i i read the stuff he writes for magazines no, I'm not talking style-wise. Obviously, Hunter had a style that was kind of all his own, you know? It's actually really hard to emulate true Hunter S. Thompson style. But I actually think that sort of outlaw journalism with inserting yourself into it, I hate the word gonzo. I f***ing hate that term, so I don't want to use it. Would you disagree that Joe Bob Briggs is sort of the modern Hunter Thompson? Absolutely. He goes off on these long tangents, but it all comes back around at the end. Uh, he's incredibly intelligent. And I think that was one of the things when I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago where they were trying to, you know, take down Joe Bob and a lot, you know, because of his, his ignorant tweets and they weren't realizing, oh crap, 
this guy is not some dumb redneck. This guy is a hyper intelligent guy. Like he's not a dummy. He really, really does fit in well. Uh, maybe not so much as far as the drug fueled, uh, fiascos of Hunter S. Thompson, but definitely the intelligence level. Well, and there's also the weird melding of fiction and reality because Joe Bob Briggs is a fiction. That's the fictional character created by and played by journalist John Bloom. Hunter S. Thompson had his fictional creation of Raoul Duke that was usually integrated into his stories somehow. And you started to see, after a while, you started to see this bleed of Raoul Duke and Hunter Thompson where you kind of went, where does one end and the other begin? And I've been starting to see that with Joe Bob Briggs because Joe Bob will write his columns as Joe Bob Briggs. But then he'll mention things about like working for a Texas newspaper in the 1980s and you go, but Joe Bob didn't do that. John Bloom did that. So there's even the the blending of the character and the writer together that I think links Thompson and Joe Bob together. I think so. I mean, it's it's inevitable when you're playing a uh, when you're doing a character for God, what what's it forty years now? Y- you do get a little rusty as far as okay, wait, was was this me or was this you know, other me? I, I'm sick of seeing. All of these filmmakers that we grew up with that, that defined cinema being forgotten. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not modern filmmakers that are putting out amazing work. When, when you see, like, I, I saw a video on YouTube. It was about, like, how to survive a zombie apocalypse or something. And I, I don't know this factually, but I got the impression from the guy, he doesn't have any idea who George Romero is. And he's doing a thing on zombie apocalypses because he kept referring to Dawn of the Dead as the 2004 Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. It was all he would refer to. He he wouldn't he did not refer to a single zombie film prior to 2000. And I started going, you actually don't even know who George Romero is, do you? That's really sad. I think that there's a lot of that going on. Which is, is very depressing. Cause we, we keep seeing all of the, the people who helped define cinema, whether in the early days, like Orson Welles or Todd Browning or something like that. We keep seeing them constantly being pushed aside and nobody remembers this stuff and they're just focusing on the modern filmmakers. Now, you should focus on modern filmmakers cause we're in a modern era, but you shouldn't forget the past and i think that is one of the problems like the the criterion channel the criterion channel you know it's curated streaming and whatnot from the criterion collection and i think it's the month we're recording this or it might be january where they have 70s sci-fi month did you watch that trailer that they put out with just all those amazing 70s sci-fi movies and you just think to yourself you know, I bet most of the people who watched that trailer on YouTube had no idea what most of those were. A Boy and His Dog and Soylent Green, uh, Mad Max, THX 1138, Rollerball, Death Race 2000, blah, blah, blah. We, we're losing the past so we can make room for the future. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I do my channel. Uh, I get a lot of people that are asking me, you know, oh, I love your stuff, but why don't you do any anything current? And I'm like, well, I occasionally do current stuff. But the bottom line is I'm doing older movies because nobody else is talking about them. And these are movies that very much deserve to be remembered. Now, some of them are a little silly and dumb and whatnot, but they have just as much right to be remembered as anything else. It's really sad that we have reached that point where... 
people are so focused on stuff that's like brand new and that's it. When uh, I when I used to, to work at the, the college I used to work at back when people started really first getting Netflix. Now, I know you don't like Netflix, but that's beside the point. There were a lot of people that were like, oh, I got Netflix and it sucks. And I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, it doesn't have any new movies. And I'm like, what do you mean? It had and I would rattle off X amount. And they're like, oh, those are old movies. I'm like, that's a movie from two years ago. Like, that's not old. And even still, when you're saying it doesn't have any new movies, okay, fine. I would rather have a service that had movies from like the 60s, 70s, 80s and whatnot there. And I realize, yes, there are movies that come before that, but I just had to cut it off somewhere. But I'm saying like older movies that are still good. It just because they're old doesn't mean they suck like that's one of the big things of why remakes are so uh sadly popular is because you have people that they don't want to go watch the old dumb version from the 80s they want to watch the new better version from now the new better version in 99 of the time is never better I have a prejudice against the way video looks, the way HD looks, because I grew up on film. You know, you're used to film grain. When I see some of these modern movies that are shot on reds, if now, now a, a red is actually a really good camera and can give you a really great image. If you don't do something with that image in post, give it film look or maybe change the color grading or something, it just looks like a YouTube video. And I'm sick of seeing movies that just look, I'm just talking on a visual level, like a YouTube video. I'm sick of that. It doesn't feel like a film to me. You're going to say, oh, you're just old. You can't accept anything. It doesn't feel like a film. Like, I'm going to go back to The Irishman. Irishman was shot in HD. Kind of doesn't feel like Scorsese. It's it's hard to put into into terms if you don't know what I'm talking about. But you look at like Goodfellas and Casino and and even something like Shutter Island, and then you look at The Irishman. The Irishman feels like a Netflix movie. I know it technically is, but it doesn't feel like a film to me. It feels like a video to me. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you remember shot on video, you know, the old SOV stuff uh -huh. when it was like shot on videotape. I found this old anthology. It's technically not an anthology. It was called Dark Romances. It was made by Mark Shepard in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, the reason it's an anthology is it was originally supposed to be eight to ten minute shorts that were going to play on the Playboy channel. This was done back in the 80s. So these were going to be original interstitials for the Playboy channel. I'm watching this going, why did you make this decision? They've got great lighting. I absolutely love the lighting that they've got. They've got these fantastic sets. They've got these beautiful locations, fantastic costumes, and they shot it on videotape so it looks like ass and you just ask yourself why did you even bother with the great lighting and the great sets and the great locations and the great costumes if you're just gonna smear feces all over it yeah, shot on video was never good. Uh, I think it was like, it was, uh, okay, this is a, a new trend because it's a lot cheaper than film. Like a lot of people, when they would talk about the expenses of movies, they never understood that a lot of times the older movies, like, oh, why is this movie two, three hundred thousand dollars? What are they? And it, you know, they weren't paying the actors that much. Film is expensive. So now that they've moved on to digital, I do think, yeah, reds are great cameras, but you need to have a combination of people that understand how to shoot on a red, but make it look like film. Uh, and it is completely possible. 
But oh, it's totally possible. I've but they seen don't it. try. But you have some of them that they just don't know what they're doing, and consequently, you get a film that just looks wrong. And it's sad because there are a lot of films out there that probably would be good, but because they didn't know what they were doing when they shot them, they did it on on reds, and then they end up just looking like crap. And it's a shame that that is a a, a big problem. I understand the absolute necessity in today's market to to you know. To to shoot on on digital i have no problem with it but i have a problem with the people that just they don't put any effort in or they don't know what they're doing and consequently they end up with a just piece of crap as i was watching this dark romances i was thinking to myself if you had shot this even on 16 millimeter it would still look okay because they had dynamic lighting oh they had some great camera movements too you put in so much effort why would you undercut it by going well and then we'll just shoot it on videotape to save money videotape is never going to look good the same way just naked hd is never going to look good it looks like a youtube video i'm sick of seeing movies released on dvd that look like they were shot for YouTube that looked like looked like something Logan Paul would have shot that's not something to aspire to you don't even have to go through the expensive process of film look or anything anymore it's a goddamn toggle setting in your editing software now it's not like you have to put forth so much extra effort to make it look like fucking film lazy and I'm sick of it Cecil well I think that it's also some people maybe they think that that's the look that they want to go for because they don't have that eye or whatever like there are people who just they they are not talented or they just they don't have that going back to Ed Wood you know I mean but at least what he shot was on film you know but it's just crazy like I've seen movies that were shot on eight millimeter that got blown up to 30 and they looked good because there's just something about that film grain that just makes a film look I don't I don't know it's just it looks like a film like a film it looks right for whatever reason you get the you get some of these people that they do things all digitally and it's just the it it doesn't it doesn't look right and you your brain can pick up on it I, and that's coming like there's people who it's not even so much an old versus new thing like you have kids that have grown up only seeing HD and they'll go back and watch like my my nephew he loves the original ghostbusters and i mean he's only like 10 and but i mean but he saw a lot of you know he watched a lot of like more current movies and he watched ghostbusters and you know you've got practical effects who shot on film and he's like why don't movies look like this now and i mean so even a kid can pick up on the fact that something's different do you know what one of the defenses video gets nowadays? What shot on video it looks, or or yeah, HD. yeah, sh- like shot on HD and all that. Okay, it looks real. It looks more realistic. Film always looks like film. These these new movies coming out, they look like real. They look like reality because we don't see in film. It will f- you. I see. I live my life at twenty four frames a second. You can blow me if you don't. Have you ever been in a store and they have the the new Super HD TVs and they have the demos going? Maybe they're they're playing a TV show or a movie or something and they turn off the motion blur and everything looks like surveillance camera video. I was at a store and they were they had a Grey's Anatomy episode on, okay? I'm not Grey's Anatomy is garbage anyway, but they had turned the motion blur off. It literally looked like I was watching it through a surveillance camera. Why would you want to watch a movie like this? 
Yeah, it doesn't look right. It it looks just like genuinely legitimately bad. It's not a good thing. But we're losing this war, Cecil. People like us are losing this war. Like I said, the past keeps getting eliminated. As we get more and more of the filmmakers that made not just our generation, but the generations before us, as they're, as they're dying off, they're being forgotten. And places like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and things like that, that are now basically the dominant place you see movies, are phasing these things out. Remember when I did our, our Streaming Wars episode, like a year and a half or maybe two years ago? Netflix only had 12% of their entire library at the time of movies made before 1995. And now it's even less. I think I, I think I saw a recent number. They have six black and white movies on the entire service. All of these things are being relegated to basically f- forget about it. And, and I'm getting sick of this crap. Uh, yes, you have to make room for the new. I'm not saying you don't. But you shouldn't have to get rid of something to make room for that. Uh, imagine if your brain operated like that. Like the only way you could get a new fact was if an old fact got knocked out. Imagine how much dumber this country would be. Well, we're headed there. To to play devil's advocate, Netflix is um Netflix has changed their business model. What they're doing is they're moving more towards having all the content that they own so that they don't have to pay licensing fees anymore to have stuff. So that's why they're moving out all the other stuff. In their defense, it's not so much that they're getting rid of all the old stuff in favor of the new. It's that because of companies like Stars and all that that own the rights to these films wanting an astronomical number they would they are making more money by producing their own content so eventually netflix is just going to be all content that they own other companies amazon prime and all that they still have a lot actually amazon as far as i've seen is probably the streaming service out there that owns the most or or that runs the most older content they have a lot of older tv shows they have a lot of older movies they have a much wider variety of stuff and i think that that's kind of cool that's what it should be like that's really where i think streaming should go it should have old and new i don't think they want to push all the old stuff out because it's old and dumb, but I know a lot of people will prefer to watch the newer stuff. As I was saying earlier, uh, oh, you know, anything past two years is old. And it's like, no, well, a lot of times, you know, I mean, God, the vast majority of my film of my favorite films are older films because they're the new stuff that's coming in. And this isn't me being like, oh, uh, all new stuff sucks. But there are a lot of just terrible, like new stuff that's coming out that just doesn't even hold a candle to the old stuff. Is there still good movies? being made absolutely but i think that there's a wider variety of mediocrity mediocrity that's being made and i also think we need to preserve the theatrical experience now i'm not a show for fathom <laughs> events but i just saw that they added the 1933 king kong in march for a one-time one-night-only screening you're goddamn right i'm gonna be seeing that i've never seen king kong on the big screen before you're goddamn right i'm gonna be sitting in there watching king kong on a giant screen and there's a lot of people who are gonna say why because it's king fucking kong yeah do you not understand like the spectacle see so imagine what 1933 audiences had to think of a movie like king goddamn kong on the big screen 
nothing like that had been done before. No, I think that that's kind of, uh, in a way, I don't want to say that we're spoiled, but we don't have, we will never, ever, ever have a spectacle again. There will never be a movie that comes along that just is like, oh my god, this blew my mind. Like they did, like with that and with The Wizard of Oz, like, go, you know, going from black and white to color, it just, like, how would you handle that? Like now, what are they going to do? There's going to be more CG. Like I just watched about two weeks ago, I watched Ready Player One and it was an absolute travesty. Like there was none of Spielberg's earmarks in it. It could have been, it's a movie that could have been done by anybody. It was just chaos. It was just a bunch of shit. It was a bunch of CG shit being thrown at your face. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. It was pop culture reference, the movie. Absolutely. And I mean, and what got me, I wouldn't have been so disgusted. I still would have been disgusted, but I wouldn't have been as disgusted. if it would have just been like, oh, here's this thing. And it's like, okay, well, that's what that is. But there were so many moments where it was like, here's this pop culture reference. You know that thing from that thing you enjoy? And it was like... But, okay, for, for Ready Player One, though, that all comes from Ernest Klein's piece of shit novel. I, I don't even want to call it a novel. That thing, I, I know you've read part of it. That is one of the Ready Player One by Ernest Klein is one of the worst books of the last 20 years. And yeah, I acknowledge that Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey exist. There are people that were just, just completely filleting themselves about how brilliant this thing was. So this, I was curious. I'm like, okay, let me see. I started looking into it and I'm like, this is awful like there's nothing good like it's like you said it is pop culture reference the movie oh i got into my ecto-1 delorean it's like no like this is and then and then i turned on kit and then i put some then i put some duran duran on the radio and then we were going to sega planet and it's so bad it's just really poorly written borderline fan fiction and that's almost insulting to fan fiction like i don't mind when a movie will have a reference or even if the movie is like something like cabin in the woods which i know you don't like but i mean but there was so many references in there but they don't beat you about the head with them it's like here they are you kind of can figure out what you recognize and what you don't and in this it's just like hey look this thing it was in you know here's the nostromo it was an alien it's like i know like you don't have to point it out that's what a lot of nerd culture has gotten into today is hey spot the reference the film and i'm sick of that but that's a different topic so hopefully we can do our christmas episode next week i don't care that it's after christmas we'll eventually get this religious franchise out of the way hopefully peter's computer gets repaired we'll see about that in the meantime cecil where could people find you if they want to tell you how wrong you are and how orson wells sucks and joe bob briggs sucks and how dare we insult such a genius like david dakota and blah 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 well you can find me if you if you want to do that i mean that's fine but uh, i'd rather you not but uh you can find me and i'd prefer it if you agreed with me but uh i'm over at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on youtube twitch twitter facebook and 121beyond.com and if you want to do me a solid go on to uh darcy the mail girl on twitter who is asking for uh youtubers that should be recognized on joe bob briggs's show and i would absolutely be honored if uh that happened so Go do that. Be nice. 
Give me a Christmas present. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Remember the Nord code. Remember the Adam and Eve code. And remember, the way things are going right now, we're getting super close to actually weaponizing autism. And that's not a good thing, so knock it off.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.